All right, please take your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I am really, really, really excited about going through this book with you guys. This book is just packed with, uh, how many of you want to grow spiritually? I mean, why would you be here unless you were dragged by a wife or something, right? Other than wanting to grow in the Lord, amen, and grow spiritually, or a husband, depending on what the case would be. But uh, if that's the case, we all need to bow before Jesus, amen, come to know him, because we don't get to heaven on the coattails of a family member, but only through faith in Christ, amen? Now, this book is amazing because Paul is writing it to his prized disciple, Timothy. If there was ever an accessor of the Apostle Paul's, many probably wouldn't think of it this way, but it would probably be Timothy. If you were to say, who was the successor of Paul's? And while Timothy wasn't a successor in the sense that he was an apostle, Paul poured more years of his life into Timothy than that of any other man's. In fact, he probably wrote this letter about, probably after spending about 15 years almost straight with Timothy. And 1 Timothy is a book of discipleship. If you're going to say, hey, what book would you take someone through to disciple them? What book would you take them through? I would probably say 1 Timothy would be either at the top of my list or the top two or three books. In fact, just off the cuff right now, saying that in my heart, I can't think of another book. As long as I'm able to go to all the other books, right? Which is what we do when we study the scripture. Amen. If we go through one verse in our church, we don't go through one verse. We go through one verse and we go through all kinds of verses that relate to that verse. We go through a lot of scripture because we learn the scripture and that's where we see the light of God's truth. And Paul is writing to Timothy. And there are all kinds of, I mean, he's discipling Timothy through this letter. This was written inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to us so that we might be discipled through this book. As Timothy says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that Paul states to Timothy, what I've shared with you, communicated to you, you, you disciple others with what I've communicated to you. And that they, other good men, that they would disciple others. So here we are, you know, many, many generations later, going through 1 Timothy. If you want to become a, a, a stronger Christian, if you want to have a, a, a stronger devotional life where you're in love with Jesus and you're serving him and you, you know what it means to serve him and what it, what it means to get up and, and, and apply his truth to your life, this book is filled with uh, just truth that we ought to apply to our lives to be stronger Christians. So I think this book's amazing because it's a book of discipleship and we have so many of our younger people growing up and serving in different ways now, many of which were born into this fellowship uh, and so forth. And it's a great time to really get into a book that deals specifically with just being discipled. And last week I talked about it in the context of leadership because Paul is writing to Timothy as a leader in the church, right? But he's also discipling him. He's discipling him in such a way where Timothy can disciple others. Hence, 2 Timothy 2.2, both letters are just premium for discipleship. 1 Timothy is packed with even far more principles than 2 Timothy. So I'm excited about this. The name of this message, and last week we got into the hope of Jesus Christ, amen? amen? To be a disciple, we have to begin by having faith in Christ, having the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. We did a whole message on having the hope of Christ. And we talked about how the hope of Jesus is far different than the hope that the world offers, right? Because Jesus, hope in him is not like the lottery where somebody might hope they win, but hope is uncertain, in the Christian faith, the way hope is described in the Bible is it's a certainty, amen? Hope does not, as Paul said in Romans 8, does not disappoint, amen? So God fulfills his promises. 
So we went through verse 1, and that was, a, that was a foundational verse to understand to be a disciple, you have to come to faith in Christ. And Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, amen? Making disciples of all the nations, amen? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he also said in that text, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. But he called them to make disciples. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So I look at this book. We're going to have a great time midweek because for the next several months or so, we are going to see what the Lord says about being a disciple through 1 Timothy. Now, if you want anybody to disciple you, ultimately you'd want Jesus to disciple you, amen? amen. And so we look at a lot of his teaching, amen? But uh, if you're going to have one of the apostles disciple you, it'd probably be good to have the apostle Paul disciple you, amen? <laughs> no doubt about it. And he poured more in more to Timothy than any other disciple I know of. So we're looking at what he poured into Timothy to disciple him. Hence, becoming radical disciples for Jesus, amen? In fact, I took the men in our fellowship through portions of 1 Timothy for the specific reason of discipling them when the church was new. I had a men's Bible study at the church, and we went through uh, you know, significant verses in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm looking forward to just really diving in, even beyond what I dove in with them, with you guys. So let's, let's look at 1 Timothy. Hey, is anybody else excited about going through 1 Timothy and growing in the Lord? Amen. Amen. Praise God. So as we look at 1 Timothy, and we looked at verse 1, we're just going to go ahead and, and read uh, verse 1 into verse 2. Paul, an apostle, an apostolos of Christos Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. We talked about that significantly last week. Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to deal with the back end of that first before I look at the front end of it. We're going to spend most of our time. Because you don't become, he calls Timothy his what in the faith? His true child in the faith. This, this message will encourage you, I believe, will strengthen you, will also set you in motion to be a, not only a disciple, but to make disciples for Christ. So really pay attention because there's a lot of wisdom in the word that we're going to look at that should set your heart afire with a desire to make disciples of others, but also to give you an understanding of what that looks like. And that's the really cool thing about going through Timothy. And he says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, let's just break down just for a few moments, not too long, in verse 1. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Christ Jesus, our hope. You have to keep in mind, this is tied to the hope that we have in Jesus in verse 1. Amen. You know, what guys join together, let no man separate. You cannot have grace without, you cannot have, I should say, mercy and peace without grace from God. You can have some mercy, which is a form of grace, by the way. Hesed in the Old Testament, translated often loving kindness. It's a rich, beautiful word. Charis is a Greek word in the New Testament uh, for grace. Uh, but you can't experience the peace of God. And notice the order, and I've told you this before, when you go through various letters, and, you, and you, at the very beginning, you often see 
grace mentioned and peace mentioned together. But you never one time see peace before you see grace. Why? Because you cannot have peace without experiencing God's grace. Because the Bible says there's no peace to the wicked. It says that twice in the book of Isaiah. There's no peace to the wicked. So those who are living lives in rebellion to God, they can't have the peace of God. It breaks your heart, you know? I don't expect, expect Putin to have peace. Don't expect Ukraine to have peace while he's in their yard either. Although we'll be talking about that with the next Magog message. Last Sunday it was when. This Sunday we're looking more at the players, okay? Some eye-popping stuff. Anyway, grace comes before mercy. And mercy comes before the peace here. But once you experience the grace, and what's the grace of God look like in the gospel? That God became a man. They died in our place, amen? He gave his life for us unworthy sinners who deserved damnation, and he took the wrath that we deserved upon himself, a substitutionary, vicarious atonement, bearing the uh, penalty for the crimes that we committed, amen, so that, and, and rising from the dead on the third day, so we could have his life. He took what we deserved, right, and gives us his life that we don't deserve. And I've explained to you a number of times that, that justice is getting what you deserve. So if we all went to hell, that's exactly what we deserve, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? We deserve wrath. We don't get it because he's merciful. That's mercy. And grace is getting something you don't deserve. Amen? Salvation in Jesus Christ. So this grace and this mercy and this peace, we have peace with God. I don't have to leave here, either to you tonight, if you trust in Jesus, not having peace, wondering where I'm going, under God's wrath. Amen? We have peace with God. So now we go to the first part of the verse. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. What allows Timothy to be a child of God, a true child? Is definitely the Holy Spirit through regeneration, but it says through faith, through trusting Christ, because we do not become partakers of, by, of God's grace except through what? Faith, amen? God, the Bible says, you know, God saves us by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. So it's through faith. But you don't become a, a you don't have the peace and the mercy unless you become a child of God. So understand in the, in the verse, understand that he's a child of God through faith because he's experienced God's grace and his mercy, which has made him a child of God. It all goes together. And therefore he experiences the peace of God. But I really want to hone in on Paul's words to Timothy, my true child. Because I'm emphasizing through this epistle, discipleship, growing in Christ, being more like Jesus, what it means to be like the Lord. So there'll be, be a lot very devotional and also theological and hopefully very challenging and encouraging to you. But he calls him my true child in the faith. How in the world, why does Paul call Timothy Paul was never married, as far as we know. He could have been married. Some believe he was married because they believe he couldn't have been a Pharisee if he hadn't been married. So some believe he had been married maybe at one time or that his wife, he's a Pharisee before he was a Christian and he had his conversion on the road to Damascus. But uh, some believe that he had been married and he, his wife left him when he became a Christian. We don't know. We don't have any details about that. But we know Timothy isn't his 
literal, physically begotten child. Yet notice he calls him true child in the faith. And this is the key for your own spiritual growth, for my spiritual growth, for our spiritual growth, for us to know how to bring other people to Christ and what it means to disciple them and what it means to be discipled. So I hope as we're going through Timothy together, we're looking at two things. Lord, help me be more like Jesus. Help me become a greater and greater disciple. But also through this letter, show me how to disciple others. Amen? How to have an impact on the lives of others. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, you're going to see in Timothy that the emphasis isn't on position as much as persons. Not saying there's not positions of ministry. There certainly are. And God doesn't call us to anarchy but order. But God's really interested in relationships. And the awesome thing about the Christian church is that it's a family. And Paul, as a leader in the church, is like a father, like a dad to Timothy. And, and it's important that we understand that Paul has emphasis on relating to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The men are to treat this, their, their, their fellow Christian women in the church as their sisters. I mean, the, I mean, just think if Christians operate the way the scriptures tell them to. And praise the Lord, by the grace of God, I've been able to watch that and see that for over 30 years in this fellowship where brothers have t- uh, treated the, the women here as sisters and the sisters have taught the men, taught, treated the men here as brothers. It's a beautiful thing. But notice how Paul doesn't just, now in the secular world, you know, your boss wouldn't call you his true son, you know, because they don't have relationships like that in the world. They don't have that affection. They don't have that concern. They don't have that care. I mean, your, job, your boss could barely uh, care about you. I don't even like to be called boss. To me, it's kind of like a, a joke if I hear boss, you know, or uh, I don't even like the term pastor up on my desk. If you look at my, my office door, you won't see the word pastor there. I forbid it. I'm just Brother Joe. Wait, wait, aren't you the pastor? That, yeah. So, Steve, so are the elders. Elders synonymous with pastor. And that simply means that we're servants. Simply means that we're servants that God's called to lead. And it's important that we understand it, that we're going to be disciples. That means we're part of a family. And Paul is emphasizing here when he calls Timothy his true child in the faith. I love that he says true child. In Titus chapter 1, verse 4, Paul calls Titus his true child as well. Isn't that interesting? Why does he call him true child? Because somebody might say, oh, Paul's calling him his his child, his son, but that's just, it's figurative because it's not really his dad. Well, Paul says true child. True child, Titus 1.4. True child, 1 Timothy 1.2 that we're looking at today. How was he a true child? Because do you know God actually puts a premium on the spiritual family even more than our physical family? That's how much the church of God belongs to him. Because we know that not everybody in our physical families is going to heaven, Amen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword. And a man's foes or enemies shall be they of their own household. And there'll be mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and so forth. One time they came to Jesus and they said, 
hey, Jesus, your mother wants you. He says, who is my mother, right? And he points to his disciples. He says, everyone who does the will of the Father, those who keep his word, those are my mother and my brothers. Amen? Amen. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? What's the emphasis? Just like I've told you before, when you look at a vine and then Jesus said, I'm the vine, we think, oh, well, he's using that figuratively because he's like a vine. There's truth to that, but he, also, but he actually says, I'm the true vine. I mean, the vine that you see here is a picture of something more radical, more meaningful, eternal, the true vine. When he says, I'm the bread, well, wow, yeah, he's, he's the bread of life, but yeah, not literally bread. Well, not literally. What's figurative? Yes. So he's not the true, no, he says, I'm the true bread. Because physical bread, you'll eat and you'll die still. Spiritual bread, you partake of his life, you'll live forever, amen? amen. So I believe Paul is using these, this terminology, true child, he wants us to understand, you belong to a spiritual family. And you ought to put priority on your Christian walk with regard to your church family. And be united your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family in Christ, Amen. That's why we take church seriously, because the church is the body of Christ. He's the head and we're his body, amen? So we get together on the first day of the week, we get together to worship, amen, as a family. We take it seriously. We don't abandon our family. In fact, the Bible says not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together, but get together all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. Families stick together, Amen. There's a beautiful picture of families that stick together right there, coming in. You guys are awesome. Love you guys. We're family, man, and it's so important. Now, in what way is Paul speaking of himself as being a father to Timothy? And I'm going to give you five ways that you can apply to your own life, in your own walk, to one degree or another. In Paul's first missionary trip to Lista in the book of Acts, is probably the place where Timothy first heard the gospel and he heard it from Paul and he received Christ. And it's interesting because when Paul talks about somebody becoming his child in the faith, we look in other places in Paul as to why he uses that language and we see different places where he talks about those who become his children of the faith are those who have become born again, come to new birth through his sharing the gospel with them. It's pretty heavy, huh? Because they were born again. They were born again as children of God into God's family through the witness of Paul. So he became a spiritual father in a way. Now, in Philemon chapter 1, verse 10, there's only one chapter there if you want to call it a chapter. He's writing to Philemon, a, a slaveholder, about Onesimus, who is a slave that Paul says, you ought to show him mercy. I showed you mercy, and it's a long story, but listen to what he says about him. That I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So apparently Onesimus got saved when Paul was in prison, right? When Onesimus was busted or was there, and Paul shared with him the gospel. He was born again. So he calls him my... my uh, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He mentions him being his son two different times. He wasn't literally his son, but spiritually, ultimately he was a child of God. He's a child of God, amen? But Paul was there and took part in the birthing process, so to speak. So he became 
part of his rebirth, and therefore he took some responsibility over him and had concern for him and his spiritual welfare. In fact, those references, the other reference was Matthew 12, 46 through 50, which I referenced earlier. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Are you doing the will of the father? You're Jesus' mother, brother, sister. Amen? Now, it's a trip, too, because when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 4, Paul talks about birthing the Corinthians through the gospel. Listen to what he says. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Catch that? What does Paul call them? My beloved what? Children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you... For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. Now it's interesting he says not have many because I believe there's more than one spiritual father for these Corinthians. And that's a signal on how we can all get on helping be involved in playing the role of being fatherly and motherly to believers in Christ. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, listen to this, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father, I became your father through the gospel. Wow. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. There's something heavy going on there right there as well, which I'll get into a little bit. But he became their father through what? Through the gospel. Amen? So one way we're learning that you become that Paul became a spiritual father to Timothy, who calls him true son of the faith, is by bringing him to Christ. And that shows me when Jesus is saying, go and make disciples, he's not just saying go and witness and be a light and evangelize and then just ignore everything. No, he wants us not to just win people to Christ, but he wants us to what? Make disciples. Disciples are both born and made, okay? Disciples are both born and made and made they're born again through the gospel of jesus christ but they're made through blood sweat and tears in the gospel and sharing the message and praying for people intercession sowing into people uh, the word of life uh, enduring with them encouraging them using, being an example all sorts of wonderful things and i think it's interesting here because number two paul didn't only birth them through the gospel but another way he was a spiritual father is Paul basically shined the light of Christ and encouraged them to become more like Christ. And what, what, does that, what does that have to do with him being like a spiritual father? Because Paul is a child of God. Amen? And Paul is a different man now. He's born again. He's becoming Christ-like. And by winning Timothy to Christ and the Corinthians and other believers, Onesimus and others, what's happening now? He's showing them how to be children of God in a fatherly way, what it means to be a child of God. Are you following? So you become like a spiritual father or mother when you help other believers become more like Jesus. I think it's interesting because who are we supposed to be like? Like Christ, like Jesus, same person, right? But also like who? 
Who's Jesus say he's like? The Father. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we're, we're as born again believers, we're supposed to seek to be like our Father. Amen. And in John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you've seen me, because Philip says, show us the Father and it is enough. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. Because the Bible says he's the exact representation of the Father's person. Now, I can want to know what the Father's like. I look to Jesus. I want to look to what Jesus is like. I could also look at Paul. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. And by the way, after he told the Corinthians, before that, earlier in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, when he said it earlier, that I begot you through the gospel, that's how you become my children, he goes on to say, therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Very next verse, verse 16. So it's not only being born again and come bringing people to Christ that we disciple them, right? We also teach them to become like Jesus. We teach them to become like the Father. Hence, like Jesus. And hence, we, we can look at the Apostle Paul. And as we follow Paul, amen, others can look at us and see what it means to become followers of Christ. And I love Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his what? Catch that? Jesus said this. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be what? Like his teacher. So what's Paul doing? He's teaching Timothy. Timothy, he's poured 15 years or so in, almost straight years before this letter. And Paul will die after he writes 2 Timothy. And Timothy will succeed him, not as an apostle, but as you'll see in a moment, bearing witness and teaching the same exact things that Paul taught. Now, I just think it's interesting because... Uh, when, you first get, when I first got saved, man, I didn't know any Christians. I didn't know one Christian. I didn't know anyone that was even close to being a Christian. I didn't know anybody that claimed to be a Christian in my life. So, but then when I got saved and I started reading the scripture, I understood, man, I wanted to bring as many people with me as possible. Amen? I wanted to see people get saved. I, my heart just broke because I saw everybody around me, my family members and my friends that I hung out with, which I had to distance myself from all of them to one degree. But I still was salt and light to them. I still witnessed to them. I wanted them to come with me and bring them to Christ. And then when they started coming to Christ one by one, it wasn't enough to say, oh, good, you've come to Christ now. Now I want to disciple them. Now I want to show them what it means to follow Christ, right? And that's what all of us should be doing. Those are the first two points we've made. We want to lead people to Christ, amen? We want to encourage people to be more like Jesus, amen? To, to follow Jesus, to follow his teachings, to walk as he walked. Amen? And you can say, man, I haven't led anybody to Christ, but well, guess what? Are you encouraging people to be more like Jesus? Then you are being like a spiritual father to them or a spiritual mother, so to speak. Amen? You don't have to, you, you don't have to win someone to Christ to act like a spiritual father or mother because what was Paul doing? He was not only leading people to Christ, but what else, what else was he doing? He was encouraging them to grow in Christ. Amen? Just as he's encouraging Timothy here and the other disciples. Number three, and I've got five points here. Number three, another way that Paul was a, a father to Timothy is he led him with parental affection. 
and tender care. He cared deeply uh, for Timothy. Now, Paul couldn't pour himself into all the disciples the same way. Jesus, did Jesus... Did Jesus treat all the other, did he spend the same amount of time with all the disciples as he spent with his 12 apostles? Yes or no? No. Did he spend the same amount of time with his 12 apostles as he did Peter, James, John, and Andrew? No. Okay. Because he knew there were certain men that were so hungry that wanted to be around him all the time and just wanted to grow and they were there. And those that wanted to be around him were there, he poured into them. And so you got Peter, James, and John were there at several times when the others weren't. Part of that was because he called them, but part of that was because they were willing. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about Timothy, he talks about nobody else that stood by me, you know, in my afflictions. So he poured into Timothy and knew that Timothy was faithful. So if we want to be good disciples, we have to be faithful. We have to be there, amen? Here you are today in fellowship. We're growing together. Where does Jesus meet today? He meets at his church, amen? And he walks amidst the churches, Amidst the candlesticks, amen? He's the head of the church. And we gather together around him and around the teachings of Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are those here today. Here you are. We're going to grow more than those who aren't here. That's simple. You're right, Joseph. Those that aren't, <laughs> you know? And if you're watching by live stream and you're here in spirit, praise God because you're getting the word and you're growing too. That's great. We praise God for our live stream family. But uh, Paul, the third point, number one, people were begotten through the gospel through his preaching. That's one way he was a father. Number two, he was making them more and more like the father, which kids resemble their parents, amen. They say there's a likeness in each child of 20% of their dad, 20% of their mom DNA, and the rest is just their own, you know. But with our father, we're called to, we're going to have our own, we're going to be our own individuals too, but we're to seek to be with as much like him as we possibly can morally, amen? There's communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes that we don't, he doesn't communicate to us because he's God, because we never become God. But wow, what a privilege it is to become a child of God, amen? So number three, he helped them in regard to, he cared for them. He poured out his life on his disciples. And this is important. He showed tender care. If you're going to be a discipler, you're going to have to t care for others. Not just tell them how much you know. Anybody could do that. But love people. Be there for people. Care for people. People should be able to see a track record in your life that you have perseverance, that you have, en have endurance, that you're sincere, a sincere, authentic person who literally loves to take care of people, care for people, and pour your life into people. That's how you become a discipler. And as a disciple... You have relationships with people that love you and encourage you. Now, this is interesting because when you look at Paul and Timothy again, and we're looking at 1 Timothy, you see this going on with Paul and Timothy. In fact, it's interesting. There's a couple different Greek words, actually a few, a couple main Greek words, though, that are translated son or child. And one of the most popular ones, huios, is used like almost 400 times, 380 times. But there's another one. Another word, technon, which we transliterate in English, T-E-K-N-O-N, -E technon, that's only used a hundred times, just over a fourth as much as the other word. And that word is a bit different in its meaning. In our English, we won't, when we read the word son or child, we don't see much of a difference, amen? 
But in the Greek, the Greek language is far more precise at times than the English language. And the word technon is the word that Paul uses here when he says true child. True technon. And the technon is a word that's used, and this is important to understand, because he's using a word that's a more affectionate word for a child. Are you with me? He's using a word that's more affectionate. The other Greek word has to do oftentimes with standing. So when you read sons of God, right? You have the other word because it's talking about who you are as a child of God. It's kind of interesting. The word studies, I think, are so profitable to get insight into Scripture. But technon is used for uh, more relational in the sense of, thank you, Jimmy. Really appreciate that, bro. Thank you. I might need a little rebuke from you, too to tell me to actually drink it because they already gives me water and then they say, why don't you drink it? I put it down, I intend to, so just wave your hand if I forget so I do it in a few seconds uh, or at least in a few minutes. So give me a few minutes. Thank you so much, Joe, bro. So there's this tender care in this word and the word technon is often used of children that are still in the home. It's used of newborn babies often. And that's what we are when we come to Christ. As many as received him, John 1, 12, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's technon, okay? And we become children of God. We're, and it's a, a very affectionate term, and it has a, an idea of intimacy, internal uh, intimacy, a community of life, uh, of nature, moral characteristics, uh, and so forth. And it's just a very interesting word. In fact, in Galatians 4.19, Paul writes this, my children, that's techna, my children, techna, with whom I am again in labor, listen to this, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. He wants to make sure Christ is formed in them. And he calls them techna. And I just think it's interesting, Galatians 3.26, uh, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then we get this incredibly wonderful text, Galatians 4.6, uh, which is connected to the verse I just read. And because you are sons... God has sent forth his spirit of his son into, the hearts of, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Amen. So I just love it that we become children of God, you ask, but we also become techna. Uh, ch- so sometimes it might be better to translate, not always, but techna as child, because child has that more affectionate connotation at times and has the de- sense of dependency more than son, but I think it's amazing because we see Paul's concern for Timothy, how tender it is. In 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you. Listen to this. As I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Notice the tender relationship that Paul has with Timothy. He longs to see him. He's, he prays for him day and night. If you want to be a good discipler, don't just witness. Disciple people. Help them grow in Christ. Amen. And pray for them. And pray for your brothers and sisters constantly. Amen. Pray for one another. That's a big deal. And by the way, if you're praying for one another, you're doing the work of God, that's going to keep you from living the life of sin. Amen. And I just love that. Now listen how Paul uses the word techna for child there in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. I love it. So Jimmy, even though Jimmy tends to come in late on Wednesdays, 
Timmy's like one of the last guys that's he's never late, but he has to come from work. And he always knows right where I'm at because he listens to the message on the way here. Right, Jimmy? Did, am I, don't make me a liar. Did you do that today? <laughs> Praise God. Amen. He's like, oh, I'm like, oh, you heard the whole message? Because he'll talk about, I goes, oh, yeah. What's that? The affection of a child. He's even caught up to date. Wow, right to the, right to the, right to the minute. Okay, there's a brother who takes God's word seriously. So in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, 8, listen to what Paul says. But we prove to be gentle among you. Catch the affection? Because sometimes you run into Christians and they, they profess to be Christians, but they don't have any love. They don't have any tender care, any affection, you know? And God wants us to be gentle with one another. Oh, I preach the word strong, but if anybody spent any time with me, by the grace of God, I'm not a mean guy. Sometimes I might feel like kicking your backside one time, you know. Usually not, you know. <laughs> Probably never. But sometimes, you, get, you know, you do get like, man, why do you do that again? You just hurt that person or whatever, you know, when you're in counseling. But my heart is just to just give people hugs and love them, man, and show them the truth in Jesus. Amen. But sometimes you do have to give people the right foot of fel disfellowship instead of the right hand of fellowship. What do I mean? Not literally, but hey, if you're going to be in rebellion to God and hurt people and you don't want to repent, it, it's tough love too, amen? Which we'll get to that because that's part of Paul's deal too in, in our five points. Right now, we're talking about being tender. We proved, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother. Check that out, man. Talk about spiritual parenthood right now, amen? Brothers, sisters, Paul is talking about being like a nursing mother. We prove to be gentle among you. Gentle, which is the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Tecna. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, which has brought their rebirth, amen, of God, but also our own lives. Because you have become very dear to us. So part of discipling people isn't just sharing the gospel, which is so important, but it's pouring out your life in the lives of others. Amen? Taking care of people, encouraging them. And we all can't do it. Like I said, Jesus couldn't be with all the disciples in the same way all the time. He duplicated his ministry. And he said that they would do greater works. And I don't believe like some, a lot of the charismaniacs that means we're going to do greater miracles than Jesus ever thought of doing. You know, he's going to be tripping out on what we do. No. He means greater not in uh, quality, but in number. Amen? Because he's, his body is, he's duplicated his ministry. He hasn't duplicated himself because there's only one Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But he duplicates what he does through others. And it's interesting because Paul was pouring his life into Timothy here. Because you had become very dear to us, he says, to the church at Thessalonica. He's pouring his life into that church. I love that. Are you, I want to ask you a question. Are you pouring your life into the lives of others? Are you pouring your life into the lives of others? That's what we ought to be doing. Amen. That's what we need to be doing. Everybody here should be saying, okay, how am I using my life to be a blessing to others? Do you have a track record of helping other people out and seeing the needs of the saints? I was just having uh, lunch a few days ago with a couple brothers and we we're going through, you know, having a great fellowship time and, and uh, talking about a couple people in need, you know, 
And both of them said, oh, man, yeah. I mean, I think two or three people came up. Oh, man, I'm going to call that brother. Oh, I, oh, yeah, I just called that brother. Oh, I've got to encourage that brother. And I just love hearing that. I'm like, praise God, man, because we're all not going to be able to cover everybody, but together we can cover everybody. Amen? Amen. And I'm encouraging you right now, pour your life into others and say, Lord, how can I pour my life into other people? How can I be a blessing to other people? And we're going to talk more and more about that. Well, one way is by sharing the gospel with the lost. Amen? Another way is by encouraging your brothers and sisters to become more like Jesus. Amen? Another way is number three we've been talking about is being tender toward other people, being kind-hearted, showing them the affection, the love of the Lord. That goes a long way in these days, huh? Because right now the world's very ugly. And when you see Christians show you love and you, and you show love to other Christians and you show that you can sacrifice some of your own life by pouring into them, your time, your talent, your treasure, taking time with people, pouring your talent into them, helping them in ways that they can't do it, and your treasure, somebody who's suffering financial need, trying to encourage them by giving them something financially to help them. And some are in that position, some aren't in that position. But the Bible says, let uh, charge those who are rich in this world, First Timothy 6, to share with those who aren't and those who are in need. Now, it's interesting, in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, a little bit later in that same chapter, Paul says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring, I love it, he piles up these words, just as you know we were exhorting, right, and encouraging, right, and imploring each one of you as a father, as a father with his own children, his own techna, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I love that. I have children. I have grandchildren. And I've poured into my children. And I've poured into my grandchildren. But you know what? I had my own family that wasn't saved. And I already determined if they don't turn to Jesus, I'm going to pour into them and hopefully they'll come to Christ. Talk about not my, my children and grandchildren. But before, when I just got saved when I was 18 years old, I got to pour into my family and, and, and witness to my friends, all everybody I know, start telling them about Jesus. But what's interesting is those that first became my spiritual family were those that I met that were following Jesus already. And there was such a strong spiritual bond. And I say this, my family understands, but that bond with them became deeper and more intense than my own family members that didn't know Jesus. And that's who I spent time with, with believers all the time. Then thank God, one by one, my family members started getting saved. Amen. And then I got that deep bond, and then I got the fact that, I mean, think of your child comes to faith, right? Or your wife, and she's not saved. My wife was saved when I met her. <laughs> well, actually, she wasn't, because I met her in high school when we were both lost, but when I met her when I was going to church again. <laughs> but what happens that's crazy is when a family member that doesn't know Jesus gets saved, you know, think of a family member that you have. They just f fell in love with Jesus. That becomes a very beautiful thing, amen? But guess what? They become part of the kingdom of God. And we are true children of God together, amen? And so what I love about this is Paul's saying that, that he exhorted, he encouraged, and he was imploring them, they were, as a group, to that walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So one way we disciple and we show parental love to the tekna, because he said, uh, as a father with his own children, tekna, we look at one another as family members. And if you have brought people to Christ, you treat them, you say, man, 
I want to see them really grow. Or you haven't brought them to Christ, but you're part of that process. I want to see them grow as they're like my own children in a way. Amen? That's very, very important. Now, how, how did Paul do this with Timothy? How did he pour into his life as his spiritual son, as he calls him his true son in the faith? 1 Timothy 1.5. I love this because he showed uh, a concerted effort in helping him grow spiritually. 1 Timothy 1.5, a couple verses after the first verse we looked at. But the goal of our instruction, telling Timothy, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Timothy, this is the goal of our instruction. He's coming against, which we'll see in context later as we go through 1 Timothy. People are teaching weird false doctrines. 1 Timothy 1.3, I've left you there at Ephesus to teach certain people not to teach strange doctrines, right? And he's saying the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Right, a, a, a clear conscience. Put your head on your pillow, you know you're doing right. And a sincere faith, amen? So he's concerned about Timothy's spiritual welfare. He also was concerned about Timothy's physical health. First Timothy 5.23, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little bit of wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Use a little bit. In the Greek, it's a tiny bit, okay? Oh, he said, drink wine for my ailments. <gasps> No, that's not what he's not saying get drunk. He says in the Greek it means little bit, tiny, puny amount for your stomach. He showed concern for Timothy's spiritual destiny, 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. But flee from these things, meaning sinful things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of, et of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he was concerned about his spiritual welfare. He was concerned about his physical welfare. And he was also concerned about his eternal destiny. And that's what we ought to have for one another. We ought to be affectionate and care for one another. Concerned about each other's souls. If we hear that somebody's backslidden, we should be praying for them. Amen? Crying out to God for them. If someone's apostate, and I know we, not everybody can do the same job, because, but God's given many of us. So everybody should, there should be some people that are able to reach out to someone that's apostate. Amen? At the very least, you should be praying for them and crying out to God on their behalf. So this is what's a trip to me. is Paul poured so much into Timothy. And Timothy was becoming so much like Jesus, but he was imitating Paul as Paul told him to. So it's kind of weird because, in a good way, because Timothy becomes an extension in some ways of Paul's spiritual personality. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me, Paul says. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy. He's writing the Corinthians. Listen to this. Therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me, which Timothy was, for this reason, I've, said to you, I've sent you Timothy. Now, he's sending them Timothy, and he says that's why he sends them is because I want you to be imitators of me. Well, how are they going to be better imitators of Timothy or Paul by sending them Timothy? Does it make any sense? It makes all the sense in the world. Because this is what he goes on to say. Who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Catching this? Because Timothy is looking more and more like Paul. He's growing up under his teaching. And, and Paul is looking more and more like Jesus. And how Timothy looks more like Paul is just by looking more like Jesus. For this reason I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful, and 
beloved, he loves him. There's that tenderness, that care. And faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you, now check this out. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. Wow. Just as I teach everywhere in the church. In other words, when Timothy gets there, he's going to tell you how my walk is. So you can imitate what I'm doing. And you're going to see Timothy because he's my beloved child. He looks like me. And he's faithful to the teaching of the gospel. Amen. And what I've taught him. And you'll be able to look at Timothy and say, wow, that's Paul. That's a picture of Paul. Wow. Paul's a picture of Jesus. Wow. Jesus is a picture of the Father. Wow. Timothy, what a blessing he is. And guess what we should be as we're in the Word together. We all should be looking more and more like Jesus. Amen. And we should be being examples to one another what it means to follow Christ and put him first in our lives. Are you ready for number four? Praise God. Number four, you become more and more, or Paul would become more and more a mature child of God as he shared the Lord's spiritual DNA, so to speak. And what I mean is God's word, amen? God's word is what transforms us. It's by God's word that we're born again, it says. We're begotten not of incorruptible word, but through the word of God, Amen. And we're born again by the word, but guess what? We're also transformed by the word as we look to the Lord in his word, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. We're transformed from glory to glory, amen? Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, 15. Paul says to Timothy, and that from childhood you have what? Known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to what? Salvation. salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. How beautiful is that? So since he was a child, he learned the sacred scriptures, which are able to make him wise to salvation. And then look at verse 16, what Paul says. All scripture, all scripture. And what's a trip is, well, <laughs> this became the word of God, Timothy, when Paul, right as Paul was writing it, amen? So Timothy is the first one probably reading Timothy. <laughs> right? He's reading the Word of God. And Paul says, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Amen? Go down to chapter 4, verse 1, because there's no chapter breaks. He would, Timothy would have just kept reading without seeing verse 17, without seeing chapter 4. He would have gone on to read, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, be reading this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but want to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to fables or myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being what? Poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Therefore, he says, in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, uh, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, it's interesting because he's pouring God's word into Timothy. 
And when he pours God's word into Timothy, he's helping ensure that Timothy becomes more and more a child of God, more and more a disciple. And then as he pours God's word into him, and he recognizes that even before I knew you, Timothy, from your, when you were a child, you know, God's word was being poured into you, which is able to make you wise to salvation. It's those same scriptures that Paul was able to use to lead him to Christ. And now Paul's saying all these scriptures, all scriptures profitable for, right, teaching and correction and rebuke, all those things. And then he says, now you, Timothy, you take that word I'm sharing with you, and you use it for what? Teaching and reproof and rebuke of others. And continue to do that. So he makes disciples, and Timothy makes disciples. And one way you do some church, spiritual parenting is you encourage other people in God's word. You share God's word with other people. By the way, that's one way you show God's love to them. That's one way you show people their love. If you don't share, your, if you don't share the scripture with your children, do you really love them? When, the word of life, would you hold that from your children? I had an elder some years ago, several years ago, say to me, out of the blue, he just said, Joe, I know you really love the flock. Or you really love Blessed Oak Chapel. It's a sweet thing to say. I go, oh, praise God, I do. He goes, no, you know how I know you really love the church? I go, how? <laughs> and because uh, I hug you guys really big. No, I didn't say that. I, <laughs> I go, just is waiting for his answer. And he goes, because Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And he goes, and you really feed the sheep. And it meant a lot to me because that, that's my heart. And he goes, you work so hard at teaching the flock. And, and pouring yourself into the flock so they know God's word and protecting the flock and all that. And I said, amen. Brothers and sisters, feed his sheep, amen. Disciple of the people. One of the words he uses there is for lambs. He uses the words for sheep, but he uses the word for lambs, you know. One, one of the times when he says sheep there, he actually says the, like the little lambs, you know. Young believers. You can apply that to young believers, immature believers, or children. But we're supposed to pour God's word into the flock. Amen? And that's what, one other way you, you become like a spiritual parent is you encourage others in God's word. You share God's word with them. Amen? Amen. This is not only about being disciples, and guess what? We're here to be made better disciples, all of us, myself included. But we're also learning how to make disciples. Amen? Yes. Learn how to make disciples. Jesus said in John 21, 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, Simon Peter, this is after Simon Peter denied him three times. And after Jesus said where to cast the nets and Peter was tripping out. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And not to spend a whole lot of time on this, but the context is not more than these boats and fish and nets and the fishing. You know, that's what some commentators, no. Peter had said, if everybody else denies you, I'll never deny you. They all may deny you, Jesus, but I'm not going to deny you. I'm ready to go to prison and death for you. He was basically saying he loved them, loved Jesus more than the other disciples. But when the chips were down, man, he denied him three times before the cock rode. And his love wasn't as great for Jesus as he thought. And he was competing rather than working with the other disciples. It's the key. Because it's not a competition. You should not be involved in ministry to show other people up or show how much you know or show you're better than someone. That's satanic, actually. You should be involved in ministry because you want to wash feet, because you want to encourage other people in Christ, because you love the Lord and you love the flock and you want to bless them. That's why there's no reason for jealousy. Jealousy is of the devil. Amen? It's not a competition. It's about ministering one to another and encouraging one another in Christ. Amen? Now, it's interesting 
because he says, so when he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, and he calls him Simon, which is his old name. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, yes, Lord, to that. But then he says, you know that I love you. And he shifts it. Well, you know that I love you, right? He said to him, tend my lambs. Take care of my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep, meaning guard them, protect them. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you what? Love me. Now remember, we've, I've gone over this a number of times now through the years with you guys. The third time, it's not just because it was number three, the third time he said it to him, but you remember what the third time, what the word he used was the third time? The first two times it was a strong word for love. You remember what that was? Agape, right? The third time he said, do you what? Do you phileo me? Do you even love me with, with a stronger, uh, at least a brotherly kind of love? And it says, Peter was grieved because he said to them the third time, do you phileo me? He repeats that same Greek word. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You brothers and sisters, you could talk about loving Jesus all you want, man. But you show his love by discipling other people, by encouraging other people in Christ, by being there for other people, by being a witness when you can. None of us can be perfect. This isn't a me uh, message of condemnation. Hopefully it's a message of great conviction, though, by the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you're trusting Jesus and you're truly following Jesus in the faith, you're a child of God. Amen? But we all could do so much more for Jesus. Amen? And we need to make our lives count for Jesus while there's still time because we're only getting one time to serve him on this planet before we stand before him. Amen? And he's telling, he's getting, I love how Jesus is real. Jesus is just so real with Peter. That's why you need to have brothers and sisters in your life, pouring in your life. And that's why you and I, and we all need to be like Jesus to each other. We need to love each other and be gentle with each other. Jesus was like a hen gathers his, his flock together, or her hens gathers her chicks together, amen? We need to be loving. But he was also loving enough to say, hey, that was wrong what you're doing here. Peter, do you really love me? He spoke, Jesus is amazing. And that's why, and guess what? He's here with us through us as we're the body of Christ, amen? And as we speak his word and encourage one another in the faith, amen? Are you with me tonight? Well, so we look, we're looking at number four here, and it's important that we care for each other, we encourage each other. I just had a good fight meeting yesterday, elders meeting in the evening, the good fight meeting earlier in the day with, I think, seven people there, and I let the guys know and shared scripture with them, shared 1 Timothy 4, 16, you know, watch your lives and your doctrine, and so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. I said, hey, it's not a, I'm not just concerned about how you do in ministry here with Good Fight. I'm concerned how you are at home in your life. We care about you. We want you to become better men of God and make sure you're walking with Jesus because if you're not walking with Jesus and you're not strong in your personal life, that's going to show up in your life uh, in, in ministry. But I want you to be strong in your personal life for Jesus because I love you. We care about you. We want you to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We're concerned about your salvation first. Right? Amen? Amen? And that matters. And, that's, that, that's, and, I, and I went to 2 Timothy 2.20. It 
through 22, where it says if you, you know, cleanse yourself from these things, and he's talking about false teaching and evil behavior, you know, uh, you can choose to be a vessel of honor rather than dishonor. Amen? A vessel that the Lord uses. Amen? I said we want to be vessels that the Lord uses, so we have to make sure we're walking with Jesus, that we're walking in righteousness, that we're growing in grace. And that's true of each and every one of us. How many of us, you're going to be a vessel of honor or dishonor? You can read about Rome, uh, in Romans chapter 9, vessels of honor and dishonor. Roman, the vessels of dishonor, they're damned. Vessels of honor are those that are used by the Lord. But uh, there's a free choice there. And a lot of people look at Romans 9, they ignore Jeremiah 18, they ignore 2 Timothy 2, 20-22, which shows that the pots, the vessels, have a choice to follow the Lord or not. Number five, our last point. Those who are involved in spiritual parenting, as Paul was, Paul was involved in spiritual discipline, okay? And that meant sometimes disciplining. Paul sometimes, I mean, he warned Timothy, right? God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, Timothy, but a power and love and a sound mind and so forth. But Paul sometimes would have to bring discipline. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians when he says he's like a father to them through the gospel. Listen to what he goes on to say. I want to read four. Chapter 4, verse 15b, and then verse 21. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, verse 21. What do you desire? Shall I, become to you, shall, I, shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? If you've been a parent, you know that sometimes you have to come to your children with a rod. Sometimes you come in the spirit of gentleness. So one thing spiritual parenting means is sometimes you have to give that tough love. You seek to be gentle. And when you have that tough love, you remember yourself, amen, that you also could be vulnerable. And also you stand by his grace. So you, are, you, you walk in love with one another. In 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul hands a man who's having sex with his mom over to Satan to deliver, it says, such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that a spirit may be, not will be, but may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's if he repents. In 1 Timothy 1, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. Here it is again. In accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Verse 19, keeping faith, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Wow. That means if we're discipling people here in this fellowship, and someone's like, hey, you know what? I mean, like 1 Corinthians 5, they're having sex with a f their mom? Well, pff, I'm sorry, you cannot be here. Kids younger than 18, I'm calling the police. Okay? Uh... If someone's teaching like Hymenaeus was, that the resurrection has already come to pass, you got to repent, man, and get right with God in that because it says right here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that you're destroying the faith of some. And this is a damnable heresy. If they don't repent, we love you, we'll pray for you, but you can't be here. And we would warn people, don't associate with a person who's teaching such wicked doctrines that could damn your soul. That's love. And that's because we don't only feed the sheep. Paul told Peter to what? Shepherd and guard the sheep. Amen? 
We, you guard your family members from evil teaching that would destroy them. And sometimes it's just a gentle rebuke reminding them. Look, listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, because the Corinthians were not what they ought to have been, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. He can't speak to them as men, that they're mature in Christ, but as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. You are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? I mean, you don't even look like you've grown in the Lord and been born again. Hebrews chapter 5. Not that he, what, they weren't born again, but they were not acting very born again. Hebrews 5, 11. Concerning him, meaning Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since, we, since you have become dull of hearing. Wow. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, the ABCs of the faith. It says, though, now this is important. For although at this time you ought to be what? Teachers. He's talking to Christians who should be teaching others now. They should be fathers and mothers in the faith, imparting truth and pouring into other children now. But they're still babes and they don't get past John 3.16. And you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. That means they haven't grown in the word. May it not be said of you after you've been a Christian for years that you don't know God's word. Get in his word. Make it a priority. For he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Wow. We ought to be feeding others if we've been Christians for some time. Now if you're saying, man, I'm a new Christian. I've only been a Christian for months or a year or so forth. Well, Keep growing. But if you've been a Christian for years and you've been, man, coming to Bible study in the Word and you're like, still, man, John 3, uh, 3, doesn't say that God loved the world. It doesn't say that God, did he give a son? Was it a son or a sister he gave? You know, if, if something like that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to scratch my head. I'm going to love you still, but I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, because guess what? A lot of people are in milk that ought to be on meat by now. And you shouldn't have to have your diaper changed still. I mean, if you're, if you're 25 years old and, you're, and there's no reason you should have to have your diaper. Some people at 25 years old physically have to have their diaper changed still. But if you just have to have your diaper changed at 25 just because you're lazy, that's a problem. Just because you're stubborn, that's a problem, spiritually speaking, right? You ought to be helping us change diapers by now. Amen. And you wish you didn't have to be burped every once in a while. And every time you scrape your knee, you don't have to get upset with everybody and get angry. I'm not coming back to church until 17 people say sorry to me. <laughs> learn to forgive. Learn to be like Jesus. Amen. Learn to, learn to just say, wow, look what he went through for me. And I deserve hell. And I'm going to whine and complain about everybody else. God forbid. And I always say, if you have a problem with everybody, you, everybody smells like cheese. It's probably because you have cheese stuck in your mustache. Okay. And so we need to have mercy on people and learn to be Christ-like and forgiving each other. Amen? Amen? And we need to grow up. Paul's saying into the Corinthians, grow up. The author of Hebrews is saying, grow up. So guess what? Sometimes we need to show the tough love. And, but, but guess what? When we say grow up, we don't just go up to a brother and say, grow up. That ain't right either. 
Amen? Because Paul said what? How do we do this? With tenderness. Amen? With kindness, with gentleness. Oh, sometimes he pulls out the, Paul says some tough things. I'm going to bring a rod. Okay, I don't usually, I don't talk like that. Okay, he's the apostle Paul. He's got apostolic authority. Okay, and I don't, I don't desire to talk like that. But I will say, hey, bro, man, we've been going over this for years, man. Love your wife. You got to love her, man. So I want to encourage you in the next few minutes that we have is a couple areas of just warning and encouragement. There's a danger in seeing yourself and under, there's a beauty, a beauty to seeing that God wants us to be spiritual parents, right? Paul says, I write to the children in, in I'm sorry, John, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I love that text and we'll explore that another time when we have more time. I didn't even write it down because I didn't want to take a lot of time in that text, but, but he talks about spiritual newborn babes there and those, he talks about those who are young men in the faith who've overcome the evil one because the word of God dwells in them. He talks about those who are fathers in the faith so you go from babyhood to spiritual adolescence to spiritual maturity. And if you're a spiritual child and you're new, praise God, that's a beautiful thing. I love seeing babes in the faith. There's, nothing, there's no greater joy for me than to see people come to Christ. That, that is so beautiful, amen? And to see them to accept Christ and the, the love of God just be realized and become children of God, okay? But I also love to see spiritual adolescents, those who've gone beyond that and years later, they're not still back at that born again spot, but they're rejoicing, they're saved, but they're grown. But I love also to see those who are fathers and mothers in the faith. Amen? Those who are pouring into the lives of others. How do you know when you've reached spiritual adulthood? When you're pouring your life into the lives of others. When you're ministering to others and helping them grow. Amen? That's what spiritual parents do. And all we have to do is choose to do it and choose to grow. Here's a danger. You don't want to go around saying, I'm, and use this as a as a title, I'm a father, I'm a spiritual father, and then become possessive. That, that's my child in the faith over there. Stay away from my child in the faith. It's like, what in the world? Because Paul, when he warned the Corinthians about being carnal still and not spiritual, having to grow, they were saying, I'm of this person, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, okay? We want to recognize that we are all in this together, Amen. Paul recognized Lois and Eunice in Timothy's life, even though he called Timothy his true child of faith. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, after he mentions, or before he mentions that they've, he's known the scriptures that make him wise to salvation in chapter 3, in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, he says of Timothy coming to faith through the testimony of his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, amen? So Paul recognized, he didn't have a possessive spirit. He recognized that we share in discipleship, ministering to each other, amen? amen. We're in this together. And Jesus said, he warned in Matthew chapter 23, don't go around calling yourself father, right? You have one father in heaven, amen? amen. Now when Paul talks about his father, he's talking about his spiritual, how he's been in their lives. He wasn't walking around being called Father Paul, okay? He didn't have a badge, saying elder so-and-so like the Mormons do, okay? Wasn't called Pope or Holy Father, right? So we don't, we got to watch out for pride and look at ourselves as servants, amen? As servants of the Most High God. Are you with me? 
Peter said, therefore I exhort you elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. You catch that? Nor as yet a lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving examples to the flock. Amen? That's beautiful. So, how do you apply this to your life? Number one, number one, to act to be a spiritual parent, one way is to win people to Christ, amen? Win people to Christ. Start sharing the gospel with people, amen? Bring people to Christ. Share the gospel. It's the power of God of salvation, amen? And we need to be witnesses and shine the light and get the salt out of the shaker. Number two, we talked about uh, being a spiritual parent and helping people to become more like Jesus and mature in who they're called to be, amen? How do you do that? You model Christ, right? You shine the light of Christ. You become more like Christ, amen? You treat people like Jesus treats people, amen? Number three, you act as a spiritual parent when you what? You have tender care toward God's children, amen? And you, show, you share tender care with them, okay? What do we do? How do we apply that to our lives, okay? It starts by, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. It means maturing in Christ, becoming more spiritual, becoming more like Jesus ourselves, amen? And making sure that we're kind to other people, making sure that when we talk to people, we're Christ-like in how we communicate with them, about them to others as well, and that we have forbearance, that we have patience through the Spirit, and that at the same time, when you're talking and communicating with people, that, that you have a, a kindness about you to where you're not always griping and complaining and moaning and whining and mean-spirited to people, but you're the opposite. People know your kindness and your gentleness. Number four, you become like a spiritual parent like Paul did, right? When you communicate as Paul did God's word to Timothy and the disciples, amen? Sure, if the Bible says, if anyone speaks, let him speak according to the word of God, amen? If, if you're spending all your time around brothers and sisters cutting up, joking, talking about everything but... You talk about the Will Smith slap for the next two years straight. I mean, I understand for a little while. It's kind of weird, right? But you know what? Eventually get back to the gospel. Amen? Because that stuff just distracts us. We spend too much time on that kind of stuff. And then we'd love us to be distracted and impart that spiritual DNA, so to speak, to others through his word. Number five, sometimes we need to bring discipline. If a brother's not walking, the Bible says, the kisses of an enemy make... uh, (laughs) Maybe, uh, you know, kiss of an enemy, they seem delightful maybe, right? But they're what? They're deceptive. But faithful, it says, are the wounds of a friend. If a brother's off, you need to lovingly, privately go to, brother. hey, bro, man, you know, you really hurt that, that dude when you, you know, you, you called him that name or whatever it was. And I want to challenge you. I want to leave you a challenge in this message. And if you take this challenge, you'll be doing a lot better in your walk, okay? My challenge is to pour your life into the other, others and become like a spiritual father and mother to others. Are you like a spiritual father to anybody? I'm talking to those who've been Christians for some time. Are you like a spiritual father to some that you're pouring into their lives? Are you like a spiritual mother to others where you're pouring into their lives? People need spiritual coaches, so to speak, mentors, you know? And uh, there's a huge need for Christian men and women to be discipled these days, Amen. In this fellowship, there's young people in Christ that could use your encouragement. I love it because you can think of these in scriptures, a lot of these, these things. Elijah, he discipled who? Elisha. Elisha called him my father. 
Isn't that interesting? Way back in the Old Testament. And he was given a double portion of his spirit, of the spirit of God that was given to Elijah. I love that. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools will suffer harm. Right? Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Don't make friends with a quick-tempered people or people time or, or, or spend time with those who have bad tempers. If you do, you will be like them. Then you will be in real danger. Right? Moses had a, who did Moses mentor? Come on, who did Moses mentor? Joshua. He led him to the promised land. Amen? Jesus mentored 12 apostles, right? Elizabeth functioned as a spiritual mentor to Mary in ways. In Titus chapter 2, it says older women teach the younger women. I don't want to do that because then I'll be thought of as an old woman. I don't think I'm that old. No. <laughs> he doesn't mean old women, although you might be an older woman. I'm an older guy. But he means the women that are older in the faith. Disciple the younger women. Amen? Help them grow. And I'm encouraging you, you older women now. Are you pointing in the lives of younger women? God wants to use you. He can use you. But, but I, I don't know if I, I, I don't, I can't even really, uh, remember Moses? I can't talk. I can't do this. I mean, God says, I'll be with your mouth to Moses. Amen. He'll be with you. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's all seek to pour in the lives of each other. Amen. We've gone through two verses in Timothy, right? Awesome. We're getting some discipleship here, right? Yep. Well, only yep. If we put into practice what we're learning. Amen. Pour your life into others in the name of Jesus. I lovingly and tenderly encourage you. Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you so much.